Good morning, everyone. Well, I've uh, really been enjoying this series on our front line on our Monday. And uh, if you're visiting us, we're in the middle of a, a series where we're looking at uh, the fact that we're all ministers, that we all have a mission uh, wherever God has placed us in our day-to-day, in our week. And uh, last week here, Tim looked at redefining success. Maybe what does success like look like in the kingdom? A very different kind of success, perhaps to the one that we are rooted in culturally in our world. And this morning we're going to go on from that to look at dealing with difficulties, dealing with difficulties in our day to day, on our Monday, on our Friday. What does it look like to be someone running for Christ when difficulties hit? And sometimes I think we feel or we believe the lie that trouble and difficulty and trial mean that actually we're a bad Christian or that we've got something wrong or that actually it's our fault. Uh, We have quite a blame culture sometimes. Some of us have heard those messages growing up and we kind of wear that. And yet one of the promises of the Bible is that we will have trials of many kinds. That's one of the promises. It's not one of our favorite ones. It's not a fridge magnet one necessarily, is it, that uh, makes us feel better, but it is nevertheless a promise of scripture. But Jesus, when he talks about it for our encouragement, he says this, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation and trials, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And that's our starting point for all that we're gonna be looking at in the next few minutes. That actually that is our start point and a sense, our end point, in that actually Jesus has overcome the world and therefore even our trials, even our difficulties can become part of our witness and part of actually our life story that appeals to others, that draws others to Christ. Often we think it's our successes that actually attract people when many times it's more how we deal with failure, how we deal with trials that actually can be witness on our front line. So we're going to read from James. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to the first book in James. And uh, James in this first book just spells out for us that actually even our trials in the hands of a mighty God can become good, can become refined, can actually speak into the lives of others as well. So we're going to start with not a particularly popular verse the beginning of James at verse 2. This is what James has to say. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We're going to pause it there. There's quite enough there, actually, isn't there? On this marathon, this half marathon morning with the non-runners here today. Uh, But we are all runners in this race uh, that Christ has set before us. Uh, There's a man called Nathan Burl Cain, maybe not a name that many of us recognise. But Nathan Burl Cain was given, if you like, the front line, the Monday that none of us particularly would wish for. He was given the job of becoming the governor of the most evil prison in America, 
or so the press would have you believe. In Louisiana, the state prison in Louisiana, and actually it had reached such proportions that actually they despaired. And they brought in Nathan Burl Kane and they said, will you take on this prison? And even part of his interview process, they said, really, there are only two kinds of people here, predators and prey. It's not a great start, is it, to your job description, that those are the kind of people perhaps that you're going to be working with. And he didn't know what to do. Uh, he was a man of faith. He prayed. He rang his mum, apparently, and she uh, said that it seems to me that uh, that's a, a calling that, that only God can fulfill for you and with you. But anyway, being a gutsy guy, he took it on. He took on this prison. And actually, the, the, the saddest thing about this prison was that most of them were either double or triple lifers. And if you're a double or a triple lifer, it means that your crimes are obviously so great that you will never get out. You'll never see the light of day again. So they had literally all given up. Both the officers and the prisoners had given up. And in a way, the only fun they had was provoking fights and, uh, and stabbings and all sorts of things. Now, I'm going to press pause on that story now to make sure that we're all still listening at the end. So this is the kind of EastEnders duff-duff moment where it kind of the cliffhanger. Uh, and at the end, I'll tell you how it ends. Maybe you have a thought as to how it ends. But uh, uh, that's somebody's front line. Now, as might not maybe as dramatic as that, but we probably do resonate a little bit with that sense of impossibility sometimes. That when we look at what is set ahead of us, we think actually, how do we climb this wall? How do we climb this mountain? And James, when he talks about trials, uh, uses a word that we won't particularly be familiar with, or I certainly wasn't, which is called parasmos, which is a testing towards a direct end a testing directed towards an end, peresmos. And perezen, the verb, was used uh, about birds who were actually training up their wings in order to fly. Perezen, to train through trial. It's used quite a lot in the Bible. It's used about Abraham when he has to offer his son Isaac. There's a trial. It's used when Queen of Sheba comes and asks Solomon, to test him for his wisdom, Perezen. And actually, it, the, the, the one that actually speaks the most to me is the one about the bird, that actually through the trial, his wings get strengthened. We've just been singing about soaring. And actually, sometimes we think if we're going to soar like the eagle, it's got to be all about the good times. But actually, what James is saying, that actually even the trials can help us rise above as we've just been singing. And actually our witness, the way that people see us in our day to day, even when we have real troubles at work, real trials at home, can actually be redeemed for his glory. Our trials produce, James goes on to say, something called hupomne, which translates as patience, but many commentaries say that's far too passive a word. It's not just the ability to be patient or bear things, it's the ability to turn them around, the ability to turn the trial around. John Maxwell says, we cannot control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us. We cannot control what happens to us many times in life. We get up, we're tripped up and we fall. But we can control what happens in us, not in a controlling way, but actually in the heart of surrender that we talked about last week. The sense of handing it over to the hands of God. 
dealing with discouragement. I don't know how you feel in your day-to-day at the moment, but maybe you've come this morning in a place of discouragement. Maybe it is that actually uh, your reviews haven't been as good at work. Maybe the money's run out before the end of the budget. Maybe you feel discouraged by something someone said to you, something that somebody's written to you or written about you or said about you, something at home that just feels like this huge, huge, vast wall in front of you. And as Hagar says in the Bible, she calls God the God who sees me. And I just wanted us to dwell on the fact today that he sees that. He sees where you and I are discouraged and he is the one with all the saints here that is cheering you on in your race, that is saying get back up again. And uh, sometimes we run a little bit faster after a fall. We're gonna look at a clip now uh, that illustrates that point. It's a little bit phased, a little bit cloudy on the screen, but you'll get the point. Uh, As we look at racing today, we thought we'd do that for the half marathon. Uh, And uh, let's have a look at that now. Now, you might think, well, you know, that's a one-off, that's an idealistic story. There are many others where they're taken off on a stretcher or whatever. But I love that. I find something in my heart rise when I look at that because there's something of the gospel about it. There's something of this passage even from James about it that actually her tripping up, her falling, instead of being her ending, is part of her success and flourishing. Her resolve, if you like, comes from her fall. And actually you and I can turn even the greatest trials in the hands of God to something beautiful, to something redemptive. And I love in pastoral work, one of the things that makes me so happy is just seeing where someone has been through a really, really tough time, trying to redeem it for good. I've seen, heard so many stories recently of people that are here and people in the others gatherings who are doing that, who are actually saying, I want to reach out to others because I've been there whether that's to do with depression, whether that's to do with money, whether it's to do with divorce recovery, whether it's to do with bereavement. People saying, actually, I'm just a bit further along the track now and I can reach out and help those who are are still falling. And that is a beautiful thing to see and I applaud us as a church for that and I pray for more moments like that where we do that. And actually, to, to speak truth into the words of discouragement, if you've had words spoken over, you heard the commentator there, she can't get back from this. She can't get back from it. And then he says, oh, she might catch her. Oh, oh no, she might catch the next one. And actually, in the end, she's running freely and lightly uh, with a free and light spirit. Failure. We've talked a little bit about that. Um, Nehemiah, uh, the great strategist, the great wall builder, if you like, in the Old Testament, had got through the strategy meetings. If you'd like, he got the battle plan, and then this happens, if you look at some of these things. Some of these were all comments that were made about Nehemiah and his team. The strength of the workers is giving out. There's so much rubble. They thought the job was impossible. The enemy could strike at any moment. People kept telling them they would be in harm's way. It cannot be done. And I reckon that God quite likes a challenge like that. That actually when we say in human terms, this can't be done, that's when we really see the power of God in our lives. We really see his power to pick us up and set us straight and set us back on our race. And actually some of those might resonate with you today. Maybe that's been said by a work colleague. Maybe that's been said about someone in your home situation. You can't do this. But with God's help, we can do it. We can. And failure is, is not a popular 
uh, expressions sometimes. Um, we have um, failure, if you like, that uh, we're ashamed of, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But what about when we fail publicly? Uh, I have failed publicly uh, a few times, and my most favourite failure uh, that, I, that I'm free to talk about anyway uh, is when I was uh, a teacher of a class in Year 7 in Derbyshire. Some of you might remember the story. And uh, I was a newly qualified teacher in a, quite a tricky secondary school, and I was being watched by my tutor. I was being appraised on this lesson, and I'd built quite a nice report I felt with this year seven group. Uh, there was a lot of very mixed ability in the group and I've been told always to be careful how clearly I explained the task as we did the drama lessons. But I felt they'd built confidence up and they were going well. So I was quite pleased that my tutor was going to see me with this particular class. And I uh, got my preparation and off I went. And I was like, year seven, it's really exciting. We've got Mr. Percival here today, a visitor with us. So I'm sure you'll be on your best behavior because we've got a guest. And we're going to do this experiment that we, year seven, have been given a million pounds, a million pounds just for this class. And the idea, we're imagining this, but the idea is that we can fly anywhere in the world. We can go anywhere. We don't know if it's going to be hot. We don't know if it's going to be cold. We don't know what language they'll speak, what currency they will need, what money they will have, what kind of people they will be. But we're there. It's the night before we go to the airport. What will you even pack? What will you pack in your bag? You're the guinea pigs in the experiment. If we make the experiment work, other children will be benefiting. They look about as excited as you do now um, but I thought it was good at the time I was learning and um, but I was going come on year seven so you're the guinea pigs you're the guinea pigs in the experiment see how it goes but you really make this work so that others can benefit and my, my tutor was watching me just dig myself deeper and deeper in and uh, anyway I set them off and uh, thought right okay go and uh, there was a lot of kind of this is rubbish miss and people sort of in the corner some people on the floor some squeaking noises going on, some real silliness. And in the end, I just was so embarrassed. I just said, well, what a shame, Year 7. You know, in front of Mr. Percival, we're all going to have to now come back together. And I, I thought we could do something like this, but you just got too silly and too excited. And I'm really quite disappointed in the class today, I have to say. And they looked absolutely gobsmacked at why I'd be telling them off. And then I remember even remember her name and her face, Naomi Brooks, put her hand up very sweetly and just said, but Miss Moore, we don't even know how guinea pigs speak, let alone what they take on holiday with them. <laughs> and um, they had earnestly been trying to be guinea pigs, packing for a holiday when they didn't know it was going to be hot or cold, where they were flying, what language they would speak, but guinea pigs doing it. So they were twitching, they were scurrying around on the floor. And as I replayed what they'd been doing, I was just crying with laughter, as was my tutor, fortunately, who found it hilarious. But the interesting thing about that story and it always still makes me smile, is that I said, oh, you're seven, I'm so sorry, that's completely and utterly my fault. Will you forgive me? And they were really sweet with me. They were going, yes, of course. And afterwards, they were coming and going, making a big thing, we forgive you, miss. And uh, he said, it's interesting. And he said to me, I think that will be one of the foundational times with that class that you'll ever have, because you may be the only adult that will ever publicly apologise to them. Now, I'm not going to say that my teaching career then suddenly <laughs> took off because of such an obvious mistake. But actually, to sometimes, to be able to say, you know, I've got this totally wrong, whether we're a manager at work, whether we're a parent, whether we're a carer, to just say, you know, I, I got that wrong, 
is actually part of the gospel. It's part of the grace of Christ. And if people will see that grace in us, grace is not always about us getting it right. Sometimes grace is about us getting it wrong and saying, look, I I did, I made a mistake, I got it wrong. And actually when we do that, we make room for others to explore what they're going through. We start to actually make a more realistic culture where we are. I was speaking this week at a head teachers conference. Uh, It's not what you know, it's who you know. That was Sue Iqbal who got me into that, not because I'm any expert or anything particularly, but I was there speaking. And uh, I was the last one, I think just the light relief at the end of the the thing. Um, But what was interesting is I talked about failure. I explored what failure looks like for head teachers. And there'd been all these super heads coming on. Three in a row, super heads had come and shared what they were doing in schools. And the guy at the end who did the vote of thanks, I don't know whether he was a Christian or not, but he stood up and he said, I just wanted to thank the lady who spoke at the end because he said, I was just totally spiralling today. This was head of a big school. He said, I was just spiralling because I was thinking, that's not my reality. And he said, as every superhead got up, I thought, what am I even doing the job for? And actually, sometimes to be able to say we do fall and we do fail is liberating not just for ourselves, but for the encouragement of others. James goes on to say, if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask God for it. And he he goes on even to say that even if we don't deserve it, God gives it. If you look at the verse, verse five, he actually says that he gives it whether, whether there is fault on our side or not. He gives it whether we deserve it, if you like, going back to the beginning or not. He gives us wisdom. And I would just say to us this morning, if you need wisdom for college on Monday, if you need wisdom with a situation in your class, in your school, in your home situation, he does give us wisdom. Even when perhaps sometimes we don't walk out of our quiet time or our reflection thinking, oh, I know the answers. My experience is that as the day goes on, his wisdom starts to come to me through others, through his word, through prayer time, through a whole host of ways. But if we do need wisdom, and I suspect many of us do in our trials, to just do that press pause that we learnt in the summer, that selah, to stop, even if it's in a meeting and you say, do you know what, let's just take a two minute break. If you're in charge of the meeting, obviously you can't do that if you're not. Um, But just let's pause for two minutes, let's just have a break and go out again, send up those prayers, maybe text someone to pray. In the uh, New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about having an opposite spirit. He talks about actually that we can bless those who persecute us. And I want to think about difficult people for a moment. I know there are none of us here, but the difficult people that we work with, obviously, uh, because we're all perfect. Uh, No, but there is that sense, isn't it, that all of us can probably picture a colleague, someone at home, uh, somebody in the family, uh, a friend even, that we're finding difficult at the moment to handle. Maybe they're making our lives quite tricky at the moment. And this is what Paul would say into that situation. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. That's tough, isn't it? But actually, 
I pray for that on a daily basis sometimes, that opposite spirit, because I know in myself I'm a reactive person. I can be quite feisty, quite fiery in myself, but actually to keep praying for that opposite spirit, the spirit of gentleness, the spirit of kindness, the spirit that instead of suddenly reacting with words that wouldn't actually do anyone any good, that just pauses and actually speaks with kindness, with gentleness. And the good thing about that is, I don't think we're called to be doormats, by the way. I don't think Christians are supposed to just lay down and take all the abuse that people give. I don't think that's what Paul means. We certainly know he didn't live like that but actually to pray for that opposite spirit that goes the extra mile with grace. Why? Because of the grace that God has shown you and I. When I think of how gracious God has been in my life, who am I not to be gracious with others? Really and truly, who are any of us? When we've seen this outstanding grace that he's given to us that we're going to celebrate in a few moments with communion, this outstanding grace that he's given us, I wanted to finish, really, uh, with two things before we hear the end of the story. In our difficulties, on our front lines, we need one another. We need each other. We need each other to fight when we can't get up. We need each other to be pulled up by one another. We need to be held up by one another. We cannot do this on our own. We need the body, if you like. There's a lovely bit in Esther 4, where before she goes to see the king, to have her moment, if you like, in the palace, she gathers the women, the Jewish women of the day, and she says, let's fast and let's pray before I go into my front line. Let's fast and let's pray. We had someone in our prayer triplet uh, a couple of weeks ago, or two, two actually. Um, there are four of us in the group, by the way. It's <laughs> a bit weird. Um, we can't count. But um, two out of the four of us in that little life group were going through difficulties at work. And uh, we did this thing where we texted each other when to fast, when to pray, when they were going into these really tricky situations, some people related, uh, to actually fast and pray. And the difference that both they felt and in the situation was m remarkable and uh, maybe we'll hear some testimonies of that for you as well that actually that text sent to just say stand with me while I do this while I go and see this person uh, and actually God will speak out for justice through your life if there's something corrupt and unjust going on around you or in your working environment it may well be that you will be his mouthpiece for justice but do it with that opposite spirit. That's the challenge for us, to have that gracious spirit, that kindness that perhaps we wouldn't have, to be there for one another, to rally and to pray as Esther's women did for her. So to return to our duft of moment, our Nathan Burl Kane. Um, Nathan Burl Kane, looking at this huge security prison, thought, well, what could he do? And so he said, well, I think that the moral compass given by the Bible is second to nothing else. 
And he said, I also think that learning flourishes people. So he does something radical in that he sets up a Bible college in this maximum security prison. It's not perhaps uh, leafy Hertfordshire, is it? But he, he, that's what he does. And he gets the men learning and studying the word. And uh, what happens is that this so is, is such a contam- contagious enthusiasm within the prison that many, many, many people start to become enrolled in learning the Bible. And so much so that this opposite spirit, if you like, starts to be contagious in the prison that actually officers and uh, men start to get on much better. And what is beautiful, and I watched the video, and it's a great one from the Leadership Summit of Willow Creek, if you, if you want to Google it. But Nathan Belkane at the end, he says, we found that as we studied the word together, the men had a different identity. And you see these triple lifers, and they come up on the screen, and it says, Max so-and-so, triple lifer, now coordinator for evangelism and mission in the prison. And there are these absolute changed identities that scroll down as these men come and say, this was the old me, here is the new me. Because a man chose to take on a front line that was tricky, that was troublesome, that was full of tribulation, but he believed in a powerful God. And that prison still, they'd 6,000 wooden toys are made by the prisoners for children growing up in the suburbs some of where some of them grew up because they never had toys at Christmas. So they make wooden toys at Christmas. They make 500 wheelchairs a year from hand parts, putting them together so that people in the community can have those. They make bicycles for people who haven't got a route to work. So out of that prison, instead of all that anger and evil and destruction, is coming good, is coming restoration, and those men have a dignity and a role to play that they didn't play before. And I wanted us to finish uh, just by watching a video as it's this half marathon morning. Thanks for being here, by the way. I know it's probably tricky in getting here. I really do appreciate you making it. Uh, and this is uh, one that you'll remember. Harry showed it a few years ago, and it made me cry then. It'll probably make me cry uh, again now. But uh, this is really about when we really fall and how God reaches out and puts us back up and holds us together. So let's have a look at this together. And let's perhaps use it, particularly if you've seen it before, as a reflection of God reaching in to the situation that you're facing on your Monday uh, this week. One of the beautiful things about that, I think, is that the crowd uh, give him a standing ovation. And we think, as we looked at perhaps a bit last week, we think that to get a standing ovation, it would have to be about the most glorious race in terms of our running it brilliantly, fast and beautifully, when actually the ovation comes because they see a guy who's committed, who's limping, who's hanging on to his dad, but is determined to finish the race. I wonder if you'd stand with me and I'm going to pray something of that spirit in us as we approach our Mondays and uh, our trials that we're facing. Heavenly Father, I know that many of us feel perhaps a little bit like Desmond there, that we're limping, that we're grabbing you, saying, I hope you've got me, God. Maybe some of us feel that we haven't got the strength to get up. 
But God, I thank you that Jesus said that in this world we will have tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And that the same power of overcoming that Jesus shown as he went to the cross and conquered death for us lives in us so that we can be those overcomers, those birds that soar, not because we're always on a beautiful slipstream, because you've trained our wings, because you've brought strength and perseverance in us through our trials and brought us through on the other side, stronger and more sure than ever that you are the father that breaks through the barriers like that dad and comes in that unstoppable love of you, God, for every person here that says, I can't stay in the stadium watching this. I have to run with you. And God, that is what you do for us every single day as we ask you for wisdom, as we ask you for strength, as we ask you for perseverance. Give us the fruits of your spirit in our lives. And Lord, help us not run alone. Help us find those people like Esther as she gathers people that will run with us, that will pray for us, that will cheer us on as we cheer them on. And as we come to this beautiful table of yours, Jesus, we recognise that you above anyone knows what it is to be in a trial, to face the pain, but to go through the pain barrier, if you like, to go through the most greatest pain of all because of that unstoppable love of the Father for us, that unstoppable passion that you have for each person here. Fill us afresh with your spirit, we pray. Amen.